Hello and welcome in. We appreciate you joining us for another Wednesday edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. If you missed last week's episode where Kane and I broke down the Sunbelt schedules for each of the league's 14 teams, make sure you go back and listen to those wherever you get your podcasts. Today on episode 73 of the show, we're really excited to talk about the transfer portal and its effect on the league this offseason. Specifically, we've prepared a list of some of the top transfer portal additions in the Sunbelt this offseason. It's a good mix of both defensive and offensive talents that are expected to make big impacts this upcoming season. Caden, we've talked about the transfer portal a lot here. The transfer portal, it can be a bit of a mixed bag for the group of five conferences like the Sunbelt. You just this offseason, we've seen guys like Josiah Stewart leave from Coastal to head to Michigan. Tez Johnson leaves Troy to go to Oregon. Ali Jennings from Old Dominion to Virginia Tech. Some of the top stars leave for Power 5 level teams each offseason, but Kane, it also creates kind of an interesting and an exciting influx of new talents to the league each year. Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch this go on the next couple of seasons because we do know and we've now seen that the top Sunbelt players are going to have possibly have that opportunity to dip their toe in the transfer portal and get a taste of what the Power 5 lifestyle is like. But I think it goes both ways. I think we're going to see and maybe we'll get through this list, maybe some FCS talent that's in the same position, get their chance now to play at the group of five level and come up to the Sunbelt Conference and vice versa with the power five level if someone's maybe not getting the proper playing time that they feel like they deserve, maybe wants to get a bigger opportunity to shine, they might come down. So I think for the next couple of seasons, it's going to be very interesting to see not only who comes in and out of the Sunbelt Conference, but also how these coaches kind of try to manage and control their needs and who they want on their rosters. Yeah, I think another interesting point to all of that, and as you look down through some of these transfer portal additions this offseason in the Sunbelt, you see that a lot of them are from the states that they're transferring to. And so it gives a lot of these guys the opportunity. They go play at the Power 5 level, maybe not as successful. And then you see a lot of guys who come back closer to home. So these are guys that Sunbelt coaches wouldn't have gotten the first time around, but now they're getting them the second time around because of that close tie to home. Yeah, and I think that makes it very interesting and very juicy, I think, going forward, looking at teams like a Georgia State, like a Georgia Southern, and like a Texas State who maybe haven't been doing too, too well in the conference. But now when you have a talent-rich state like Texas or like a Georgia where there's so much high school talent year in and year out, and you might be able to snag a couple guys from the transfer bubble who maybe want to come back home, I think that's going to add another interesting dynamic to it for sure going forward with some of these Sunbelt schools, depending on the recruiting hotbed they have going on in their state. Yeah, relationships matter in uh, this new world of college football. It will be interesting to see how all of that plays out. Well, let's not waste any more time, Caden. Let's jump right into today's topic, uh, the top transfers in the Sun Belt this season. Caden, just for our viewers, we broke this down. I took the offensive side of the ball. You took the defensive side of the ball. We each picked our top five guys that that we like. I know, um, you know, for me, it was kind of a mix of, you know, pure talent, but also looking at need for some of these teams. And I was curious just how you went about creating your top five. Yeah, for me, it's interesting because I think when you look at the transfer portal, there's a lot of different factors to look at. You can look at someone's production at their previous school. You can look at where they were previously as well. And then like you talked about the fit and the need that they're going to have. And I think for me, it was really just balancing what school these um, athletes were playing at before, what their production looked like before, and then what I think their role will be on this team. Try not to look too much into the high school stuff. Maybe some of these kids, look, I'm, they might be very good talents. They went to schools that are SEC schools that we're familiar with, but they just don't have tape. They don't have any stats yet, so I can't put them on a list like this. So everyone on my list, at least, has proven to some extent that they've done something at a different school, and I think that they'll be a great fit moving forward with their new Sunbelt school. Well, I'm excited to hear it. Okay, and we'll jump right in. I think the best way to do this, I've got mine ranked one through five and then a couple of honorable mentions. I know you do as well. So I think we'll just start at number one and work our way down. Does that work for you? 
Works for me. Let's get into it. Awesome. Well, for me, I went pure talent with this first pick, and I don't think it will surprise a lot of people. We've already mentioned this name on the podcast multiple times this offseason and just our excitement level, not only for him, but the potential of this program. And so for me, Caden, this number one guy is quarterback Malik Hornsby at, at Texas State. Uh, he was the former number five dual threat quarterback in the class of 2019 out of the state of Texas, goes to Arkansas. And then, you know, his senior year of high school, I know you didn't look a ton back at high school and you don't want to give too much weight to that. But man, he threw for 2,300 yards and ran for almost 1,600 more, 46 touchdowns responsible for. He would then go on to appear in 16 games at Arkansas, got his lone start. And this is something that I put a lot of credence to. He got his lone start last year against Mississippi State in October. He threw for 234 yards and a touchdown, ran for 114 more yards and eight carries in that game. He's coming into Texas State, new coaching staff, promises obviously to light up the scoreboard. His job is to replace Lane Hatcher, who had a decent year last year, 2,600 yards and 19 touchdowns through a lot of interceptions. Hatcher was never really an elevator at that position for Texas State, and Hornsby could be that. I'm buying Hornsby because of the coaching staff. They have obviously shown the prowess of getting a lot out of their quarterbacks. We think back to Lindsey Scott at Incarnate Word, who threw for 4,700 yards and ran for 712 more. And, Caden, this is just a crazy number. I wanted to throw it in here. Lindsey Scott last year responsible for 71 touchdowns in this very same offense that Hornsby's stepping into. They're going to put Malik in situations to be successful, Caden, and I really feel like he has the talent to be successful at Texas State and in the Sun Belt. Yeah, I think your top pick was a no-brainer when you just look at the level of talent that Malik Hornsby is going to be bringing and athleticism that he's going to be bringing to the conference. We saw what a player like Todd Santeo was able to do coming into the conference with just a different level of athleticism when it comes to being a dual-threat quarterback. I think when you look at the Sunbelt Conference historically, the teams that do have that dual-threat quarterback have been successful, and I think that's why we're a little bit excited and a little bit drinking that Texas State tea and Kool-Aid heading into the season because having a dynamic quarterback, a dual threat quarterback is just something we haven't seen from them in such a long time. And you think back to guys like a Zach Thomas, like a Grayson McCall, a Todd Santeo, a Levi Lewis. Those are the people who made it happen with their legs and their arm in the Sunbelt Conference and really made a difference. So definitely like him as your top pick. And I can't think of a player, I think, out of both of our lists that I'm going to be more excited to see this upcoming season than a guy like Malik Hornsby. Yeah, he'll be a great pick. Who was your top pick on the defensive side of the football? Yeah, so not as flashy, obviously, as a dual threat quarterback. But for me, I think this is someone who just I he had to be my top guy because I think he has the most potential to really make some noise in this conference. And it's Michael Mason, the defensive end who transferred into Coastal Carolina this offseason. He spent the last four seasons at Wofford. He's six foot three. He's 270 pounds. He's a South Carolina kid. So he's familiar with Coastal Carolina, I'm sure, and just the Sunbelt in general. And when you look at his resume, Noah, he's the first Wofford player ever in their school history to be an all SOCON first or second team selection in four straight seasons. This dude was either the best or the second best edge rusher in his conference year in and year out. Last season, he had nine and a half tackles for loss. He had seven and a half sacks. And I think his skill set, his size is just something that we can see translate to Coastal Carolina into the Sunbelt Conference right here and right now. And you talk about earlier, a guy like Josiah Stewart, who is leaving the program. This is the guy who had 16 sacks for this team in the last two seasons, and they lose him to the transfer portal to Michigan. We'll enter Michael Mason. He's bigger than Josiah. Josiah was a 240-pound guy. This is a 270-pound guy now who's really a true defensive end. You're not going to see him switching positions like Josiah did anytime soon. But I just think when you look at him, his body of work, and now plugging him into this championship-esque program. They've been in the championship game. They've always been in that conversation. It just truly seems like a perfect fit. And I think 
This is going to be a guy. He's been a SoCon all-conference guy year in and year out, and I would not be surprised if he was a Sunbelt all-conference player this year as well. Yeah, I mean, the biggest question mark, obviously, there, you you look at the physical attributes, and that's probably going to translate. But what you do question is, does it translate in terms of speed? There's a difference between FCS football and FBS football. So I think that'll be interesting. But like you said, that's a big need for Coastal Carolina. And Caden, that was a Coastal Carolina team that got taken advantage of on the ground last year. And it seems like just from that pick and and picking up that transfer that they're trying to change that. And I think that will uh, ultimately be big for him. But he's got big shoes to fill. Josiah Stewart obviously goes to Michigan. Fantastic player. Again, like you said, more of a bandit type player than a true edge rusher. So interested to see uh, how that pick goes. Kane, my number two guy, and again, this was more of a need-based pick, but I really like this talent. And it was the running back, Asa Martin, who transfers to Troy. Uh, He comes into a backfield that last year had a ton of success. We were on that all of last year, guys like Kamani Vidal, DK Billingsley were a big part of that Troy offense. And at times they were running that offense with Gunnar Watson kind of exposed in certain games. Um, but Kamani Vidal is obviously gone. He's graduated pursuing his NFL dreams. DK Billingsley is going to be back. But that left a, a really big gaping hole at RB1, RB2, just a, a big hole in that running back room. And I feel like Martin can step in and do that. He ran for 750-plus yards in the last three seasons at Memphis. Uh, last year, he runs for a career-best 435 yards, seven touchdowns on the ground. Caden, here's what I like, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit more in a second. He also caught 36 passes for 312 yards. He brings a big body at 5'11", 200, one of those bruisers. He can run in between the tackles. He's got speed to get outside. Former four-star recruit out of high school, initially goes to Auburn, ends up at Memphis. Uh, But he's going to try and replace Kamani Vidal, who we mentioned ran for over 1,100 yards last year, 10 touchdowns. Here's what I'm interested in, Caden. We talked about some of the struggles that Gunnar Watson had last year, and even we we saw that at times, uh, probably with the exception of that Sunbelt Championship game. I really like this pickup because he is going to now be Asa Martin, I'm speaking of, a threat in the passing game. And to me, that's going to give Gunnar Watson just one more option to go to. It doesn't become a pass only or a run only. Some of those running backs are going to have the ability to get involved in the offense. And I think adding that interesting wrinkle for Troy's offense is going to be huge. And that's why Asa Martin is at number two for me. I definitely agree. There's no question that last season, especially towards the end of the year, you couldn't deny what was going on in Troy's backfield as far as their downhill rushing attack and how crucial it was for that championship run. But I think adding a guy like Martin into the fold that does have that versatility, that has that skill set where he can run routes, catch out of the backfield, a good run game and a good just check down option is a quarterback's best friend. So I think you're 100% right as far as Gunnar Watson being able to maybe rely on a different kind of weapon, a more dynamic weapon out of the back. And I think if you looked at that Troy team last year, you could change a couple of things about that offense that looks stagnant a couple of times. Having a different variety of running backs and bodies and skill players that you have to tackle and deal with. I think that's going to be a huge thing for them going forward, especially losing a guy like Tez Johnson, who he might not be playing the same exact role as Asa Martin, but as far as a different kind of speedy body to have to defend, definitely think that's a huge pickup for them. And I definitely think it'll pay dividends for Troy. With my second guy, a little bit more of a gamble here. I went with Kevin Swint, defensive end that traveled or transferred in to Georgia State. He spent the last three years at Clemson, so obviously a big, huge name. And coming out of high school, 
this was a guy that was a four-star prospect out of prospect out of all of the guys that I looked at that were transfer portal guys. I'm pretty sure this was the highest rated high school prospect, at least not a transfer portal prospect prospect necessarily. But this is a guy that was a top 50 player in the state of Georgia, a top 50 linebacker in the country and an ESPN top 300 guy with offers from UGA, from Ohio State, from Alabama, from LSU, all those schools that you are familiar with. But he is from Carrollton, Georgia, a powerhouse high school down there. So it looks like he's trying to come back home and be in the state. He's six foot three, 242 pounds from Clemson. He's actually a guy who converted from the linebacker position to the defensive end position in college, which to me just kind of brings another level of versatility. I think that if he's needed in another way, possibly for Georgia State, he can be moved around possibly in their defense. And I know we like, we don't like to talk too much about the high school stuff like we mentioned before, but I just had to say, this is a guy that had 41 and a half career sacks and 395 tackles in high school, which is just crazy to me. When he was at Clemson, he obviously did not have that much production. He wasn't a guy that touched the field that much for them. But I think when he did play, he definitely made the most of his snaps. He had 20 tackles of fumble recovery in 175 snaps over 13 games just in 2021. When you look at his career as a whole in just three seasons, he's a guy that ends with 32 tackles, three and a half for a loss in that fumble recovery, like I said before, and just 320 snaps. So he might not have the biggest resume, but I think when you look at what he's done per the snaps he was given in his career at a place like Clemson, where the defense is such a pedigree and such a staple combined with his high school talent and just him as a prospect and as a player, had to put him at number two. And I think he can make a big impact for a Georgia State defense that had some struggles last year, especially on the edge. Man, you've said all that, Caden, and I think you could probably admit, too, that as soon as you saw Georgia after him, we know how much you like your Georgia football player, so he was almost ticketed uh, to be number two. But, Caden, to your point, that Clemson defense was amongst the best in the nation last year. It's tough to get playing time when you're playing with guys like Trenton Simpson, Brian Brzee. Uh, you know, this is a guy in Kevin Swint that Ben Moore mentioned when we talked to him in our, you know, wrap-up of the season. And I think it's interesting, too, Caden, you bring up the point of maybe being able to move around positions, and we saw Georgia State struggle with injuries at times last year and so he might be asked to play out of position and I think that could be really interesting so like that pick there at number two for you Caden we'll move on to uh, Demarcus Harris he is a wide receiver transferring from Kentucky and he is now at Marshall here's why I'm going with him at number three this Marshall team that I know you and I are both high on heading into this next season uh, they lost several wide receiver weapons this offseason. Shadid Ahmed, who was kind of their arguably number four, number five wide receiver. But then, most notably, they lost Corey Gamage, who was the team's leading receiver. 52 catches, 774 yards, and six touchdowns last year. Those two receivers combining for almost 1,000 yards of receiving yards, eight touchdowns. Uh, this is a guy in Demarcus Harris who played in 39 games at Kentucky, obviously in the SEC didn't get a ton of offensive snaps last year. We saw him a lot on special teams, did play in 12 games uh, last year for Kentucky. Caden, he's an explosive guy with a big frame. I like him at 6'1", 183. You can probably line him up outside. You can bring him into the slot where I think he could have some success in the Sun Belt. He's also coming to Marshall with a couple of years of eligibility. So you pair him with a guy um, you know, like Cam Fancher over the next couple of years, this could be a huge pickup. Here's another kind of underrated aspect that I love about this. He's actually reuniting with his former wide receiver coach, Javon bon or Boonite, who was at Kentucky last year and then now is the new wide receivers coach at Marshall. Uh, this guy, again, top 150 receiver out of high school, had big-time offers from UCF, Syracuse, and Purdue. Uh, he Cam Fancher's the guy at Marshall, and to me, he needs to spend a lot of time here with Demarcus Harris's offseason building that relationship because Harris could very easily become Fancher's number one wide receiver this fall. 
Yeah, we've talked at length about how up we are on this Marshall team going into next season. It's because of all the talent they are bringing back, especially on the defensive side of the ball. But when you look at what they needed, definitely needed to take care of that wide receiver position. And that's one of the luxuries now you have with the transfer portal. You can get an SEC talent caliber type player to now play out wide for you. And I think with a guy like Cam Fancher, you're trying to groom and make into that top guy in the conference, that top guy that's going to lead Marshall to what they hope to be having a championship shot this year. I think adding a key wide receiver like that is going to be huge for them. And hopefully he can be a guy that has, I think a little, not necessarily more trust, but I think just a full route tree. I think when you saw the receivers at Marshall in the past seasons, they just weren't able to fully use the route tree. They had some big athletes out wide and a guy like Gamage who was able to on slant routes and on those deep routes, go come up with the ball. But if they get a complete route runner, from this kid with Kentucky, I think it's going to be very special for Marshall, even more special than we're already making them out to be this year. But with my third guy, I had to go with Michael Fletcher, another defensive end. I know I'm going up front a ton here, and I promise it's going to change in my next couple guys. But he's a defensive lineman that's at App State now after four seasons at Michigan State, and I promise this will be my only thing I bring up as far as his high school careers goes. But he was the number one ranked defensive end prospect in the state of Michigan when he did come out, which I think definitely holds a little bit of weight. Being number one is definitely – something to pull your hat on. But what holds more weight to me is his actual weight. Him being six foot six and 260 pounds, I can tell you right now, on an App State team, I have never seen a defensive lineman that big. He might go down as the biggest App State defensive lineman in history. And it's because of the scheme that App State runs with those three down linemen. Very curious to see where they put him and where they use him. This is a kid that has a ton of experience playing in the Big Ten Conference. He played in eight games last year with three starts. He missed four of them last year because of injury. So that is a little thing that I'm concerned about. But this is a kid that had three sacks as a freshman in the Big Ten. Doesn't have the most appealing stats to someone because he is a guy up front that's going to plug up gaps. But when you think about how many teams in the Sunbelt Conference now have built their identity and have great running games, I think having a guy like Michael Fletcher up front to just lug up some gaps, have your linebackers be able to run free is going to be huge. So a guy who's played 22 games and had three starts in the Big Ten at that size and was such a highly recruited guy out of high school, got to go with Michael Fletcher as my number three guy for App State this year. Yeah, I like that. And I'm curious, Caden, does this perhaps signal a little bit of a change in, in defensive scheme at App State? I mean, historically, over the last couple of years, that game has been run by obviously the strong secondary. I have to mention that because you're on this podcast. But you know, the linebacking core has been the talking point, guys like Nick Hampton and others. So it'll be interesting seeing, you know, really a guy who could become a true game wrecker uh, on that defensive line. Is this a guy that, you know, maybe picks up six, seven, eight sacks this year and really improves that App State defensive line? I have to imagine you listed some of the size of Michael Fletcher and Scott Sloan just has to be salivating. At this point, having him on that defensive line, and I have to imagine there's some quarterbacks in the league that are a little nervous as well. Caden, I, I will admit on this next one, I bought the high school hype. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, big numbers here in high school, highly rated recruit. I think he's going to be a good fit at this program. My number four pick was tight end Kane Barong, who comes from Notre Dame. He's at Coastal Carolina. Caden, he had me hook, line, and sinker here. He was the number one rated tight end in the class of 2020, according to ESPN. He was a number 49 recruit, former four-star guy out of high school. Uh, he was scheduled to be an, an Under Armour All-American in 2021 before that game was ultimately canceled. Goes to Notre Dame, plays in just four games over the last two seasons. He's going to bring some great size to the table at 6'3 and a half, 243 pounds. Those are big numbers for a tight end. Uh, and Kane, you might have heard about the tight end that he's had to sit behind over the last couple of years. That would be a guy named Michael Mayer. 
who was obviously or arguably the top tight end in the country this past year. So tough to get playing time at that position when you've got a guy like Mayer who is arguably a first-round draft pick in the NFL draft. Uh, I really like this pickup because I feel like he could give Grayson McCall an excellent weapon. He's big enough to block. We know that Coastal's still going to run the football, so he can do some of that, but he's going to give him some good size. I like his ability to perhaps play, you know, with Jarrett Brown and just create another big weapon for Grayson McCall. They've brought in a couple of big tight ends this year, so it will be interesting. Obviously expecting a different scheme at Coastal Carolina, not sure what that's going to look like, uh, but I feel like there's going to be some room here for Barong. And, you know, don't look now, could he be like a Zach Kuntz type player uh, for Old Dominion, similar size, a little bit shorter, uh, but could he be one of those true game changers at that position? And, you know, this is a coastal team that in years past has shown the ability to get tight ends open in space. So I really like Barong here. I know I'm leaning a little bit more heavily on his high school career, but I feel like he brings some intangibles, some great size. Uh, and, a, and a quarterback like Grayson McCall has shown the ability to elevate the play of those around him. So I really like Barong here at number four. Yeah, when you were trying to sell me on the high school hype before, I wasn't as sold. But I think by the end of it, you have me. I think Barong can be a valuable piece to this team. And I think you're looking at this tight end position at the college level, at the NFL level, become more and more important and become more and more of a factor. And I think we haven't really seen just because of the injury from Koontz last year. And I think a guy like Traore, who was at Arkansas State, maybe didn't get to see the light of day being at a school like that. That wasn't as successful. But I think the Sunbelt Conference is kind of due for a go-to big dominant tight end. And I think that's the direction the game is going in. It's only a matter of time. So I think forecasting Barong to be that guy for Coastal Carolina is not a hot take. And I think you have to think a guy like Tim Beck with his offensive mind, if he sees in spring ball, this kid has some glimmers and flashes of some big time play abilities that we're going to see it during the season as well. With my number four guy, I went with a little bit more of a sleeper pick. I went with Gavin Potter, a linebacker out of Arkansas State who's played, who's transferred into Arkansas State. Sorry, he's been at Kansas the past four seasons. But he's a six foot two, 225-pound kid from Kansas who went to high school in Oklahoma. So he's familiar with that area. And I think for me, just looking at his body of work and what he brings to the table, I just think it's exactly what this Arkansas State team needs. He's an inside linebacker. That's a sideline to sideline guy. He was an honorable big mention all 12 guy for freshman of the year in his freshman season because towards the end of the season, he got some more reps and ended up starting the last eight games of the year, ended with 56 tackles, three and a half TFLs and a sack and a half. But in his four-year career in the Big 12 playing for a school like Kansas, who looked was not winning a lot of games. They were in a similar situation like Arkansas State playing in games like that, but he still racked up 174 career tackles, had a pick six against Baylor. I think this is just the kind of guy that you need to inject into your program if you are Arkansas State. You need a shot in the arm. You need some life on the offense or the defensive side of the ball. Watch some clips of him playing. He definitely brings the energy and brings the juice. And I think just as far as fit goes and what he brings to the table, can't think of a school that needs some production, some leadership, and some experience more on the defensive side of the ball than Arkansas State. And I think they got it here with Potter. Hey, you brought up an interesting point there when you mentioned leadership. I think that was the key there for me. We have talked a lot on this podcast. We have been sold over the last year that this is a young Arkansas State team that needs to grow up. And to me, bringing in a guy like Potter, who probably is going to be your top linebacker, who brings a lot of experience and leadership, I feel like that is underrated. And I really like this pick because at the end of the day, Arkansas State needs guys in there that have been there and done it, particularly at those bigger conferences. And I feel like now Potter probably has the opportunity, Caden, uh, to maybe mentor some of these young guys 
And I feel like that's been something that Arkansas State's been missing lately. They've had a lot of talent, youthful talent, but we haven't seen that translate yet. And you have to imagine bringing in a guy like Potter, maybe that changes. Uh, so really like that pick there at number four, a bit of a sleeper there, but I like it. Caden, I'm going sleeper at number five here. There's probably some guys that, you know, ultimately are higher ranked. I'll admit that. Uh, but this next pick here, it's not even the quarterback at this program that you think I would probably go with. And I'm talking about James Madison here. This guy is going to be tasked with replacing Todd Centeno, uh in years to come. Centeno, obviously the offensive player of the year in the conference this past year. And this guy is not the most heralded. He's probably the number two on the depth chart this year. But this is quarterback Ben Griffiths, uh, who transfers from Wake Forest to James Madison. And here's why I'm going with him here at number five, Caden. Ben Griffiths, to me, I can sum him up in three words. He's the future for this James Madison program. I'm very much expecting to see Jordan McLeod be the starting quarterback for the Dukes this year. He's coming in out of Arizona, a bit more seasoned of a player. But Ben Griffiths is probably, you know, going to be the future here. He grew up in Ashburn, Virginia, which is just outside of the D.C. area. He comes from a football family. His dad, Matt, is a head coach, uh, head football coach at Broad Run High School, who's really become a powerhouse in the state of Virginia. Goes to Wake Forest out of high school. Kane, here's another underrated aspect. And again, I'm picking, I'm picking names here. He sat in the same quarterback room as Sam Hartman all of last season who's now the starting quarterback at Notre Dame. He obviously would have learned from him and, and really just seeing great quarterback play in the ACC in general. You could argue it was one of the best quarterback leagues in the nation this past year. Uh, he also brings good but not great size, six foot 185, so he's over that six-foot marker. He's not quite Russell Wilson height. Um, but, you know, you thought about going with – I thought about going with Jordan McLeod here. I'm going to be honest with you, but I see Griffiths as the future, and that was enough to sway me to toss him in as kind of a wild card here at number five. We've talked on this podcast about great James Madison quarterbacks in the past, Cole Johnson, Ben DiNucci. Could Brent, Brett Griffiths be the next in that lengthy line? Caden, uh, he's also received just a lot of praise for his football IQ and work ethic, so – that was enough to sway me here. I feel like Griffiths is a good pick at number five, a little bit of a wild card, but I feel like in years to come, he could become quite the quarterback and make me look good. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do on this podcast. Yeah, I like the long-term investment pick by you, Noah. I think going with a guy like Griffiths, you talk about that quarterback position, development and who you're around and what rooms you are and how you can build up the IQ before you play is such a key. And I think this is a great long-term pick out of you. I think I can just see it now if I close my eyes. We'll have him on the podcast. We can play the clip of you years in advance, hyping him up and, and prophesizing him to be the next guy at James Madison. But I do love the pick. When you have a quarterback like this who you've only heard great things about and just seems like they've been in different situations where they've had to wake their turn, I can just speak firsthand from playing with quarterbacks. It builds character. It builds a callus and not being able to play and not kind of realizing you're not that guy at first and having to build into that and come into that is definitely value there. And I like your pick as far as a long-term option. I think for my last one, I was between two defensive backs here. Maybe I'll get to chat about one of them, but had to go with Tyreek Thunderberg, the little fun name that we're going to have in the Sunbelt Conference going forward. But he's a quarterback that transferred into App State. And we talked about last year, the struggles that this team had in the secondary, maybe showed some age that they needed to get some experience they needed to get. Well, they're definitely going to get it out of Funderburg. This is a guy who's played five seasons at Richmond. He's only used three years of eligibility, but he has a good size at the corner position. He's six foot, 185 pounds. He's a guy, like we talked about before, from Indian Trail, North Carolina. So definitely probably a guy that's familiar with that App State culture. 
Last season, though, he had four interceptions, 14 pass breakups, 39 tackles, and two forced fumbles. Just an excellent year. And I think his ability to create turnovers, I believe he had two picks, two interception games. So he had two picks and then two picks just in two separate weeks. So he's a ball hawk, and I think that's something that was maybe lacking a little bit from the App State team. And I think last season and just going forward, looking at that cornerback position, it's been such a staple year in and year out. And I think last year was kind of the first time that we might've seen some vulnerabilities there. So I think bringing in an experienced guy who's been at a nine and four program at like Richmond, who has proven ball skills, has good size, is filling up area of need in a school that he's familiar with, with a ton of experience. I think App State knocked this one out of the park and hopefully we'll see some improvement out of that secondary unit going forward. Caden, we all know how much leadership uh, that App State secondary lost when you graduated last year. Uh, So now Funderburk will obviously be tasked with uh, replacing some of that leadership that again was an app state secondary that looked pretty bad last year. I know, uh, we were a little bit nicer than maybe we should have been at times on the podcast, uh, last year, just out of allegiances. Uh, but they didn't look great last year. So Funderburg certainly coming in. I like it. A couple of good picks there on that app state defensive side of the football. And, you know, if app state can put that defense together, they get a good quarterback in there. Don't be surprised to see app state right back at the top of the pecking order in the Sunbelt East. So I like those picks. Kane, a couple of guys for me, just honorable mention. I've got five or six names here. Um, you know, looking at App State, a couple of wide receivers, Makai Jackson, Christian Ford, who comes from Mississippi State. They need to replace a couple of guys in that wide receiver room. So I like those pickups. I really like Davis Brin down at Georgia Southern. How can you not in that offense? We saw what Kyle Van Trees did coming from Buffalo last year is Davis Brin. A potential sleeper is one of the top four or five quarterbacks in the conference uh, inside that system, potentially. Um, you know, and then I also look at a team like South Alabama, Javon Ivory. It, it comes from Memphis. Uh, he's a wide receiver. I like the pickup of Reed Byes, who's the offensive lineman from Mississippi State. So those are some guys, too, that I've got my eyes on that are transfer portal guys coming into some of the bigger programs in the Sun Belt that I feel like can make impacts. I know you had uh, a name or two on your honorable mention list as well. Yeah, for me, you know, I have my affinity to the defensive backs, and this guy almost made the cut. But Trayvon Jones, a defensive back that is transferring to JMU from Elon, he spent the last four seasons there, six foot, 173 pounds. Just a proven guy at the FCS level, and I think injecting him into a program like James Madison, who also has proven now at the FCS and FBS level that they're a formidable talent but I think he was a um, FCS freshman all-american according to Phil Steele he was a third team all-conference guy for multiple publications last year he finished the season with 29 tackles 25 of them were solo tackles which I think is very impressive for an undersized corner and he's also a guy who was returning punts for this team he had a 71 yard day against Vanderbilt proved that he can do it against some power five talent I know they already have Josh Surratt, Surratt back there returning punts for them but I think he could bring some special teams value as well and then Southern Miss had a couple of guys that I didn't have the full verdict out on them, but TJ Smith is a guy who played at Kansas State. They had a guy, David Devon Ferguson, who played at Kansas. Not super proven, but I think if you put them and insert them into a place like Southern Miss that has that pedigree and that defensive side of the ball that has just some, some juice to it and some culture there, I think it could turn out being well for them too, just not fully, fully convinced. Yeah, it's certainly interesting. A lot of good names there. Uh, so it will be interesting to see uh, you know, how all these all these players translate. I'd like to think that we'd be sitting here at this time of next year talking about how successful all these guys are, patting ourselves on the back. Some of these guys are obviously going to hit. Some of them aren't. But uh, these are some guys that I know that we're excited to at least watch play some football uh, this coming fall. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Prairie and Smith Podcast. Thanks for your continued support of the show throughout the offseason. 
Uh, we're excited to continue interacting with you throughout the offseason and into next season. Again, here's a quick reminder about our mailbag. If you have Sunbelt football-related questions, we'd love to hear them. Send them our way by emailing prairieandsmith at gmail.com in the coming weeks. We'd love to hear from you. Before you go, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Wednesday next week. Caden and I will be providing spring practice updates for the Sunbelt West schools. Also wanted to take this as an opportunity to throw in. We do have some exciting news coming in terms of a partnership in the next couple of weeks that you're going to want to be on the eye out. Some giveaways uh, that we're going to be handing out uh, in the next couple of weeks. So keep your eye on the Twitter account for that. Well, that will do it here for us at the Prairie and Smith podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast. It really helps us and the show out. We're going to continue bringing you some great content about the Sun Belt throughout the remainder of the offseason. So for Caden Smith, Richmond, Brett, I'm Noah Frary. Thanks for joining us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.